Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about blazing a trail to our own personal best. My first guest is John Brinkus. Today we're talking about the business of podcasting. It's not very often that I get to hang out and have a schmooze fest with a fellow podcaster. And today I get to do just that. John Brankus has spent the last decade studying and popularizing the unique characteristics of the world's greatest athletes. As co-founder of Base Production, he co-created the groundbreaking series Fight Science for the National Geographic Channel. He's best known on the air as the host, co-creator, and executive producers of ESPN's award-winning show, Sports Science. Brankus has been featured on the coverage of the Super Bowl, Monday Night Football, the NBA Finals, Sunday Night Baseball, and the Masters, to name a few. He's got lots of accolades. He's won six Emmys. He's a hotshot. He's also the creator and host of Brink of Midnight podcast. Welcome, John. I'm excited to to yak with you. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to yakking with you as well. (laughs) And you know what? We probably, you and I, the the term yak means to chat a lot. That's right. There are younger people that think that yakking is something entirely different. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. We're not going to, we're going to yak, but not yak. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about the Brink of Midnight podcast. How, how yep. did it come into being? How was it birthed? So, so it came into being by really by my wife, who was just looking around at the world and just saying, you know what, there's too much negative news out there. Um, and she and I have a very interesting way that we met that we call a Brink of Midnight moment. We both sat next to each other on a plane in Denver. I was traveling with a business companion. We had a ticket mix up. So I sat next to this random person who was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. 
and we had a mechanical problem on the plane. So we all had to get off of it. I go up to the guy that I'm traveling with and I say, I'll give you a hundred bucks to stay away from me. Just met the girl I'm going to marry. She called her parents and said, I think I just met the guy I'm going to marry. Spent yeah. five hours in the airport, land in LA. We exchange information. Turns out we live two blocks away from each other on the same street in Brentwood. Now you run the odds on that and say two people fall in love and they live like next door to each other. Um, and we met in Denver. So we were saying, you know what? Everybody has these crazy stories where they're genuine life-changing moments. Like your life was trucking along, this thing happened, and then from that point forward, everything else was different. So tapped into you know our network of you know friends and colleagues and um, people who I think thought would make great guests, and you know we're almost on episode fifty now, and it's doing great. This is a great story. And does this tie into the book that you wrote? You have a New York Times bestseller called The Perfection Point. I mean, is this is a perfection point that you've just described it, to me. It is. The perfection point was a different topic. It was a topic about what is the best a human being could possibly do, meaning the fastest they could run, the highest they could jump, the farthest they could hit a baseball, the most weight they could lift, if everything were perfect. So the perfection point um, was very blessed that it was a bestseller on several charts. Um, and it really just explored the science behind if everything were perfect, what's the best we could possibly do? Um, that was just another venture. You know, sports science was one of, one of the ventures um, that I've done. And it's, you know, been very successful and been very happy. And, you know, I feel like the brink of midnight is sort of the next thing. So what goes on over there at the brink of midnight? I'm just wondering if I can stay up that late. Well, here's at here's, my age, at our so, age. <laughs> so I'll give you the real, so the real, real, real background of what happens at Brink of Midnight is Brink of Midnight actually was a band and is a band before it was a podcast because here we had another Brink of Midnight moment that was crazy. My, uh, I just decided after 20 years, I, I'd put the guitar down, you know, family, kids, career, all that stuff just gets in the way. And I just wasn't playing guitar. So I said to my wife, I'm going to learn to play the guitar again. So taught myself Pro Tools, picked up a guitar, started writing songs. She walks by my studio and just starts humming a melody over one of the songs that I was writing. And I'm like, that was, that's really good. I'm like, How'd you, how are you doing that? She said, I was classically trained in the Long Beach Opera Company. And this is 10 years into marriage. And I'm like, oh, you probably told me that before. She said, yeah, like 50 times. So we decide to record a Christmas song and that Christmas song, we are an unsigned band. We get placed on Sirius XM Holly in heavy rotation. You played around the country and we chart at number 30 on the AC chart as an unsigned band. And literally in the holiday, in the holiday season, it literally goes Mariah Carey, Madonna, Bruce Springsteen, Lizzie and John Brinkus, Paul McCartney. I'm like, what is going on here? So we, you know, I strongly believe in the positive energy of the universe. And so we said, let's just keep writing music. And we wrote that music at midnight. And, you know, we met very late on the plane. So we're like, we're calling it Brink of Midnight. And we're going to write all this music. We're gonna, you know, we'll create a band and we'll create a podcast off of it that will spread positive energy, which is really our mission in life. Love that. I mean, I, 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 I get it. I get it. So like the interviews really are not taking place at midnight. It's no, they are no, not. They are they're not. not. Some of them do though. 
but they don't necessarily happen, but they're all about the life-changing moments in everyone's life and everyone has it. And really, you know, we, we mostly have celebrities and people who are well-known actors, comedians, athletes, you know, people that people know. And it, and it, what really boils them down for the audience to show how human they actually are. You know, if this break didn't go their way, you know, they, you know, could have been, uh, you know, could have had a completely different career path. You know, if there was some tragedy that hadn't had happened, you know, there, it, there may not have fertilized the soil enough for them to grow enough to be brave enough to take that chance, you know, to become great and to do something that nobody else had done before. So the interviews are really fascinating about those moments in life that really change everything. I get it. You know, I, I'm going to share with you my own brink of midnight moment. I went Love. through a div uh, divorce many years ago. And when I was separating from my ex-husband, my daughter, who was about 11 or 12 at the time, she goes, Ma, do you have any old boyfriends? And I'm like, Kayla, I know where all my old boyfriends are because I'm like a serial monogamous. You know, I mean, I know where everybody is. She goes, come right. on, there's got to be there's got to be somebody that you dated when you were young that you've lost track of that you're curious about because I don't want you to be alone, which really touched me. I'm like, Kayla, Kayla's now almost 20. I'm like, don't worry about it. I got this. I just need a minute. She insists that I give her the name of an old boyfriend. I'm like, all right, there's this boy I dated for a minute when I was in undergraduate school. She asks his name. She Googles him, not Googles him. She searches him through Facebook when Facebook was becoming popular for old people. And she brings up 500 men named the same. And she says, which one is it? I said, try the one whose avatar is of a building because my undergraduate studies were in architecture. She clicks on the guy and she goes, is this him? I said, yes, it's him. And then she writes him pretending to be me. This is true. Oh, and wow. uh, we start this very uh, 18th century, 19th century romance writing thing for several months. And lo and behold, now we're together almost nine years later. Oh, my God. So that's a that's what you're talking about. Yes, right? that's crazy. And that and that happened because your daughter, like you never would have done that. Never. Daughter, your daughter took the initiative. That My is, daughter took the risk. <laughs> that is awesome. It's just awesome how there's so many moments in life and things that you can you can actually point to where you say, you know what? Nothing, nothing is the same from this point forward. Everybody says, okay, it's you know, having children. Yes, we completely understand that. I get it. But having children isn't like this completely unexpected out of nowhere, random event. Like there's a <laughs> built to it. That's you know, true. So, you know, so I'm not, I'm not diminishing um, the importance of having a child, but if I had never met Lizzie and sat next to her, then we never would have had children. So it goes back to look, sitting next to Lizzie was the defining moment in my life where my mental, spiritual, physical, professional, everything in my life changed from that moment forward. And for you, it's your daughter being bold and saying, I'm going to track down one of your old boyfriends. I mean, imagine, I mean, nine times out of 10, that's going to turn into no response or a, uh, I'm married. <laughs> Could have been a disaster, but here's the funny thing about it. And not only did, had we reconnected, but we share an anniversary. So we were both married on the same day of the same year on separate coasts, pregnant. How weird is that? That crazy. is weird. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. 
Crazy, crazy. And these are the kinds of stories that that you talk about. It's like it's humanizing the human experience, right? Something that we can connect with, tap into. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all those the moments of, wow, this thing happened. And then nothing from that point forward was ever the same. And it's really interesting how the, our, our guests, you know, vary from Ray Lewis to Apollo Ono to Dr. Drew to Damon John um, to just lots of different people that, that people are aware of. And it, you have these amazing stories of comeback stories where, you know, people were really on the edge or you have these amazing divine moments where people find inner strength. And I, I sit back and I often wonder, you know, why doesn't everybody bootstrap life? Why aren't they ever able to just pick themselves up and get out of the situation that they're in? And that, that answer is a very, very, very complex one mostly because you have to be able to recognize when a door opens and you have to have the courage to walk through it. Oh, this brings us to Joseph Campbell, right? And, and the heroic journey and, you know, the call to adventure. And, and when do you pick up the call? You know, the bell rings or the phone rings. When do you answer? We're going to need to take a break in a second. Uh, But before we do, I want to make sure we get your contact information out there. To learn more about John Brankus, and I'm assuming Lizzie is is mentioned there, go to johnbrankus.com. Yeah, yeah, you can go to John, johnbrankus.com. You can go to brinkofmidnight.com, B-R-I-N-K of midnight.com. Um, you can follow me on, on Twitter at johnbrankus underscore, and you can follow Brink of Midnight on all social media platforms at Brink of Midnight. Well, you just did my work for me. So I thank you for that. I love it when the guests take over and when the guests happen to be fellow hosts and they, and and they, they can run the show on their, on their own. I could step out and have a cup of coffee. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I am just kidding. We are going to take that break. And when we come back, I want to hear about some of your most interesting stories that you've captured on the brink of midnight, because I'm sure you've got a few doozies that, you know, may rival mine, you know, but I want to know more. Awesome. (laughs) Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. Hang on just a minute. Before we take that break, I want to talk with you about money and happiness. This holiday season, give yourself the gift of extra money in your pocket when you consolidate your credit cards with Lightstream. Lightstream, a division of SunTrust Bank, is one of the best financial tools I use to consolidate and manage credit. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 6.14% APR with AutoPay, which is significantly lower than the average credit card interest rate of more than 19% APR. This really helped me lower my monthly payments and clean up debt. Here are some nifty things I like about Lightstream.com. It rewards people with good credit with a lower interest rate and no fees. The online application process is easy. Get loans from $5,000 to $100,000, and the funds can even be available as soon as the same day. And here's the happy part. This season, save even more with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to visit lightstream.com slash harvesting. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash harvesting. And here's the legal mumbo jumbo part. All loans are subject to credit approval. Rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash harvesting for more information. Now let's take that break. We'll be right back. 
we know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are we happy yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are talking with John Brankus today about blazing a trail to our own personal best. Let's return to the conversation. We are talking about a new podcast called The Brink of Midnight with its creator, a co-creator, John Brankus. So John, prior to the break, we were touching upon amazing stories that you have collected and can be found at The Brink of Midnight podcast. All right. Inquiring minds want to know, my dear, tell me, tell me some jaw dropping stories. I'm ready. All right. So here's one. Rob Riggle. Famous actor, comedian, has you know been in a million movies, million TV shows. Like every everybody, if you don't, if you're like, I'm not sure I know Rob Riggle, just Google his name. You know his face. He's everywhere. So he grew up in Missouri, and in growing up in Missouri, had a very happy family. And but what you do is, you know, you go to school, get a job, you know, have a get a wife, have a family. Simple. So he is, he decides that he wants to fly. For um, he wants to fly for the Marines, and his grandfather had taught him to fly when he was nineteen. So the Marines came to him and said, "Hey, we're going to get you. Um, we're going to get you into the flight program." So he's now two years into. I'm sorry, three years into the flight program. Phone call comes, and it's a buddy of his from college who says, "Hey, you know how you were kind of a goofball in college." And just made everybody laugh. Up here in Chicago, people are doing that. And it has a name. It's called improv. You should try it. And he said, wow. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I've got it. I'm a pilot. I got to serve eight years. Then after that, I got to serve nine years. And that's, it's almost going to take 20 years of my life. He went down to the beach and he reflected. And he said, you know what? Making people laugh would be pretty cool. He wrote down on a notebook a singular sentence that said, I will be cast on Saturday Night Live. Now he's in Missouri, he's in the military, he goes to his commanding officers and says, I no longer want to be a pilot because 
it's too long of a period of time of commitment. I want to move to ground troops. And uh, that only is a five-year commitment. So that means I only have to stay here for two more years. And then I'm going to go try to make it as a comic. He ends up after five years, the Marines keep him as an employee up in New York. They, they move him to New York. And he knows not a soul in New York. There is no real improv scene in New York at the time. And there was this new group coming to town called the Upright Citizens Brigade that had Amy Poehler in it and a bunch of other huge comics that were, they were tied in with Lauren Michaels and Saturday Night Live. Cut to Rob Riggle gets an audition for Saturday Night Live, doesn't make it. And he's like, ah, oh, there was my dream. I had it. It was right there. It almost was a great story. The next year, he gets reinvited. He has no material that he's prepared. And he goes out that night, creates a, a random set at a random comedy club, and goes in, lands the part, and gets cast on Saturday Night Live almost 10 years to the date of riding it down on the beach. Wow. And from there, just his, his career just took off and went off like crazy. So that's one really good one. Here's another good one. Randy Couture, very famous MMA fighter, UFC champion. Like he's referred to as Captain America, starred in the Expendables with Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, Sylvester Stallone. Like he's a big movie star, big MMA fighter. Randy was raised by a single mother and his father was nowhere to be found, but, and he discovered he was pretty good at wrestling. And his goal was to make it to the USA Olympic trials in wrestling. That was like, he was like, that, that's what I want to make it to. That would be amazing. He was a great high school wrestler, was, got into college and was just at that point where they were going to be selecting who gets to go to the Olympic trials for wrestling. He gets his girlfriend pregnant and he now has to make a choice. He's like, oh my God, what do I do? Like, do I abandon my dreams, you know, just to raise this child or, you know, do I just suck it up and just say, all right, I'm going to be a father. He said, you know what? I'll put my dreams aside and I'm going to be a father. And I'm going to, I have to get a job pronto. I don't have a college degree yet. I'm like, I got to figure it out. So he ends up joining the army. It's the only steady job that he knows he's going to get a paycheck. He gets shipped off to Germany for a couple years. So now he's in Germany and there's this wrestling tournament that he knew, he knew nothing about it, didn't train for it, didn't know about it, just popped up. He's like, yeah, you know, I used to wrestle a couple years ago. I'll enter the tournament. He enters the tournament, wins the tournament. And by winning the tournament, he got automatic entry into the U.S. Olympic trials for wrestling. Crazy. <laughs> so it's pretty nutty. There are just tons and tons and tons of stories where I'll give you a, a fantastic example of one of our really recent guests. Let's go with Larry Fitzgerald. So Larry Fitzgerald, well-known wide receiver for the Cardinals. He is, I mean, he's known as just the greatest, nicest, most wonderful human being in the NFL. And really the question is, is you know what? How did you become such an amazing person? You know, no one has ever said a bad thing about Larry. Like, what changed your life to make you so nice? And his, his story was he went to the University of Pittsburgh, was becoming a giant football star, and started acting like he was a giant football star. And his mom called him and said, you know what? Here's the deal. We, uh, you're not acting like a Fitzgerald. You're not acting like 
like the son that I raised and you gotta, you gotta cut it out. And he essentially hung up the phone on his mother and was like, you know, what does she know? And six months goes by, doesn't speak to his mother. In that time, she was diagnosed with cancer and died. Oh, wow. And he was like, oh my God, the last t- interaction I had with my mother, I actually just hung up on her. And he said, from this day forward, I swear I will be the nicest person to everyone that I possibly can be. All because he was not the greatest person in the world at a time where he really needed to be. And that's where this nicest human being comes from, this really dark place that ended up happening. You know, there are crazy stories all over the place. You know, Ray Lewis actually has a great story of what shaped him into being a man he said, you know what? This is, how, this is how you become a man. He said, I grew up with a single mother, had no father. My mother was in an abusive relationship. I was 14 years old. And every day this guy would come home and just, you know, it was domestic violence out the wazoo. And there wasn't a whole lot I could do about it. So he said to his mother, give me a deck of cards. And he got a deck of cards. And for nearly a year, he took the deck of cards, would throw down a card. And if it was a 10, he would do 10 push-ups. If it was an eight, he would do eight sit-ups. And he would do thousands of push-ups and sit-ups every single day of his life until he got big enough and strong enough to threaten this guy so that he would leave his house. And he said, at that point in my life, I knew I could take control of my own life and make no excuses for things that I do. It's a really fascinating, you know, fascinating conversations you know, with all of our guests. Well, it sounds well, like that there's a thread on the brink of midnight and that thread is the rewards of doing the right thing. But that's <laughs> each of these stories. That's what, what I'm hearing is the common, common thread in, in all of them. And I think especially is it's not only the, re, you know, it's the rewards, it's just the courage to being able to, to do something. You know, there's this opportunity that's laid out in front of you and you just have to, you, you really need to recognize the universe conspires for us to succeed. And whatever your religious belief is, there is a higher power that somehow lines things up in the most bizarre ways. And generally speaking, our eyes are shut and we're not really open to the possibility that, well, maybe I need to make a change. And we often recognize, don't recognize opportunities to come along and allow us to do that. The commonality is that everybody recognizes, oh my gosh, I don't want that to happen again. Or I do want to seize my own opportunity and I'm going to make my own destiny. And it's while the, the universe conspires for us to succeed, it's our job to take our destiny into our own hands and to find out those portals that open that we need to step through. I get you. I hear what you're saying. And you've got a lot of passions, right? You've got a very vast background and you're juggling a lot of things that you love to do, including Lizzie and your kids. Yeah. But <laughs> let's talk about these passions and, and, and how you're making it all happen. We don't have much time left. So sure. In terms of making everything happen, I've been the kind of person, you know, ever since I was a very small child, the expression is, you know, if you want something done, give it to the busiest person. I'm just not someone who is complacent with anything. Like I'm constantly starting up a new venture, figuring out a new skill, really 
trying to broaden my own horizons. Like that's just how I'm wired. And it, it, what's interesting is when, when you try to sit back, I th- feel like people use the word genius way too often. Cause I sit back and I'm like, what, what actually is intelligence? And I think intelligence is knowing what you don't know. Like being like, I have no idea anything about that. Like I, I know what I know, but I know it's such a small subset of things that exist in the world that I need to keep broadening and expanding and figuring out ways to learn more. So somebody will look at somebody and say, wow, that person's really smart. And I'll look at them and say, you know, the smartest people to me are those who are constantly seeking to grow as a human being. Uh, I would say those are the happiest people too. Those that are constantly stretching themselves and challenging themselves in, in positive ways that they, and, and I put myself in that category, tend to run more content with life. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. You know, we're talking with John Brankus about his podcast, Brink of Midnight, to learn more about him and his work. You can go to www.johnbrankus.com on Twitter at John Brankus with an underscore after the name. And that's B-R-E-N-K-U-S. On Facebook, the page is Brink of Midnight. You have been an absolute delight. And I love the genesis of this podcast and of your life because it's like, you know, you're listening. You're listening yeah. to the universe and, and and it has not let you down. That's what it sounds like. You know, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for everyone, right? Because life can beat you down really easily if you just sit there, you know? So you got to get back up every time you're knocked down, get back up and, you know, find that door and walk right through it. Exactly. And well, the struggle is part of the journey. It's what we do with that struggle. I think that makes the difference. We're going to dash. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about how to blaze a trail to our own personal best. I want to welcome our next guest, Douglas Vermeeren. Douglas Vermeeren is known as the modern-day Napoleon Hill through his interviews and research with more than 400 of the world's top achievers. 
His program, Personal Power Mastery, is rated among the top personal development programs around the world today. He is also well-known for high-powered sales training with his Influence Selling Program and his popular podcast, Learn to Sell or Die, as well as a second podcast, Personal Power Mastery. He's written a new book, and that book is entitled Personal Power Mastery, and he's in the house to talk about what it all means. Hi, Doug. Thanks for joining me. Hey, it's good to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about the five pillars that motivate people. Absolutely. Well, you know what's interesting is, as you kind of talked about my bio, I went out and I interviewed more than 400 of the world's top achievers. But since that time, I've also done this kind of work with thousands and thousands of people on nearly every continent on the globe. And so we've noticed that there's really five consistent things that everybody wants to achieve in life, or or let's put it this way, one of your goals will fit into these five pillars. But as we discovered what these five pillars were, these five areas, we also discovered some very peculiar things about how they synergistically fit together. So let me maybe explain it this way. If you can imagine in your mind a star, a star has five points, right? And let's put you at the middle. Now, the five points are really these. The first one is called self. And that can include such things as like self-worth, self-confidence, self-fulfillment, anything really to do with yourself. That's the first one. And of course, as you can imagine, we found people who had goals that they wanted to increase their confidence and their self-worth and things like that. So that would fit into this category. The second one is what we call spirituality. And many times people overlook this aspect of spirituality. But the truth of the matter is, is we do have a connection to the universe and everything around us. Whether you believe in a God or whether you believe it's just a universal force, we still have that connection to these things. And there were many people that had goals in those areas. The third one was what we call health. And that's our connection to our sense of well-being when it comes to health. And I'm not just talking about quitting smoking or losing weight, but just even health in general. In fact, even the energy that you have during the day to be able to connect right? And then the fourth one is what we call relationships. And that doesn't just refer to our familial relationships, either a spouse or a a sibling or a child, but also every relationship we have, including in our communities and with those, you know, that we might be uh, working with or what have you. And the final is called abundance. And abundance, as you can guess, probably already, it has a lot to do with money. It has a lot to do with abundance. It has a lot to do with surplus time and the freedoms that we have. Now, the startling thing that we discovered is, yes, people do place goals in all of these areas, but most people kind of gravitate towards the goals of have and do. So in other words, I'd like to have enough money. I'd like to do some traveling. I'd like to have a proper spouse or a good spouse in my relationship or what have you. And the problem is, is they miss all of the other elements in that sequence. So in other words, they kind of cut across directly from who they are to immediately try and say, get wealth. And then they can't sustain it because they haven't built the other elements in place. Or they try to, again, move right into a relationship and they end up being untrue to who they authentically are. And a couple of years into the relationship, people start being unhappy. So it's important as we look at that star that we recognize that we need to first be the right thing before we can do the right thing and have the right thing. And so it starts with self that feeling of self-worth, self-confidence, which leads us then to a connection with things on a spiritual level. In fact, an interesting way to look at this is in the Bible, it says that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you can't really love your neighbor till you do love yourself. Mm-hmm. And then as you develop that love for yourself, obviously you start taking care of yourself in a healthy way and live in a powerful, positive, energetic way. Who you are inside is a reflection of what you receive outside. And then that's when we move into relationships. How we relate and deal with others determines our success. And if you look at abundance and wealth, well, all wealth and abundance requires a transaction with someone else. 
And so that's really that connection to relationships. So these are all connected, all five of these elements. And if we want to live a satisfying life or the good life or a life that is authentically happy, I think you're suggesting that all of these things need attention and balance and work synergistically. They definitely do. In fact, one of the things that I think is really kind of interesting, and this came from my wife, you've heard the saying that actions speak louder than words. And I think a lot of people are really concerned and focused on the tactics of creating success. But the truth of the matter is, and this is my wife saying, is that being actually speaks louder than actions. Yes. So when we are the right thing, we become the right thing. And there's a really great book that I'll recommend as well. It's called The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey, Stephen Covey's son. And in that book, he actually talks about how sometimes in life we make mistakes. I mean, we do the wrong thing sometimes. But when we are the right person and we get our being right before we get our doing right, a lot of times the mistakes that we make can be forgiven because people near us and close to us and those who have had experiences with us, they already know that in our heart, we're not doing something to be difficult. And because of who we are, we never violate the trust, even when we do occasionally make mistakes with the things that we do, because we started by being the right thing. It's really an important process. And that speaks to living and operating in alignment with one's values and the necessity to define that moral compass and those values before you move forward as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it does. Definitely does. Um, talk a little bit about Napoleon Hill's influence upon you. Well, this is kind of a neat story because to be honest with you, I, uh, as a young man, I didn't really have any influence of personal development at all. I'd never experienced it. I didn't know it was a, even an industry. And so we decided to, uh, you know, I guess as a young man, do what I understood best. And that was to work hard instead of working smart. And so I took a job selling pest control in California. It wasn't going well for me. No one had taught me how to be successful before. And so quite frankly, I arrived at discouragement very quickly. And I was on the verge of quitting. I was up to my eyeballs in debt. I had all kinds of life concerns and challenges going on, including how am I going to return to school? And this job that I took just wasn't solving any of those problems. So I was about to quit. And as I was, a friend of mine actually approached me with two different books. And he says, you got to read these. They're going to change your life. One of them was How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. The other was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Now, both of these books had a massive, profound effect on me at the time. I'd never experienced this kind of thinking or insights. I never knew I had this kind of power over my own life. But as I began to read it, I began to recognize that I definitely had greater worth than I had a, assigned to myself before. So one of the things that happened is as I was reading Think and Grow Rich, to be honest, I got kind of a little jealous. Napoleon Hill had the chance to meet and interview and spend time with people like Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, the Rockefellers, Andrew Carnegie, the Wrigleys, the Wright brothers, and the list goes on and on and on. And I thought, wow, what would it be like to meet these people like of that caliber and learn directly from them? And I was also no dummy. I knew that a lot of the things that Napoleon Hill most likely learned wound up on the cutting room floor. In other words, there were experiences that he had with these top achievers that I'm sure none of us will ever, ever get exposure to. So I decided I wanted to go out and interview some of the world's top achievers. And so I started, first of all, with millionaires that I knew, people uh, who maybe were members of our community or you know, people that we'd known through church groups and things. And, um, and suddenly I started getting access to some really good information, things that I never thought about, even beyond the books. And so um, one of the mentors I had met and had been spending you know, almost every week, we'd been meeting once a week for about six to nine months. And about that time, he pulled this question on me. He says, out of all the things that you've asked me, there's one question you haven't asked me yet that's going to change everything. And of course, I said, well, what's that? <laughs> he said, uh, 
you haven't asked me who else I know that you should talk to. So I started asking that question every time I met someone successful, who else do you know that I should talk to? And in the period of about, you know, five or six years, I had then gotten to close to 400 of the world's top achievers, people like Richard Branson, Donald Trump. I had a chance to connect with Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey, Ellen DeGeneres. I mean, the list goes on. And the cool thing is, is I expanded my studies of success a little differently than Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill studied mostly business leaders. I actually added to that celebrities, athletes, gold medal Olympians, people who'd made their money on the internet, people who'd been highly successful in network marketing, industries that didn't even exist in Napoleon Hill's day. So we had a little bit broader of a perspective. Now, one of the other things that was really kind of interesting, too, is Napoleon Hill wrote that book in 1937, Think and Grow Rich. And if we look at really kind of how psychology and the study of the brain and neuroscience has changed, one of my interviewers that I did was with a neuroscientist by the name of Terry Hansen, and she had told me that, in fact, over the last decade, more than 98% of everything that we've understood about the brain has changed and evolved. And so what we learned in 1937 with Napoleon Hill was great. And a lot of the research I did validated what he had shared. But what I found was also so much more, so many things that we didn't even really know how to ask, right, or consider. And so I really found, uh, for me personally, that this research helped immediately. And then the students that we've taught since, I've seen, again, all those five pillars we mentioned, I've seen people be able to get results in that connection to self, in their spirituality, connection to their health, connection to the relationships, and certainly abundance. In fact, as a 19-year-old who is broke, in my first six months with this information, I did $1.6 million, which is approximately $9,000 a day. So this information is incredible in how it can help change a life and open up doors of possibility. Phenomenal. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Douglas Vermeeren. He is the author of Personal Power Mastery. To learn more about him, his work, his podcast, his books, the films that he's produced, and I want to talk about that when we return, please visit www.douglasvermeeren.com. On Twitter at Doug Vermeeren. Facebook, that is Douglas Vermeeren with the number one, Douglas Vermeeren one. And on Instagram, Douglas Vermeeren. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. 
Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast with someone that you know and love who's interested in personal power mastery, because that's what we're talking about. My guest today is Douglas Vermeeren. He is the author of the new book, Personal Power Mastery. Douglas Vermeeren is also known as the modern day Napoleon Hill. He has written several books. He's produced several films. He has a podcast entitled Personal Power Mastery, as well as Learn to Sell or Die. Doug, prior to the break, we were talking about your Napoleon Hill story and thinking Grow Rich story and how it impacted you and influenced your life. I'd like to talk about some common speed bumps that we experience when we are trying to build a business or, or working towards building a business, that being hesitation and ambivalence. Well, you know what? Those, those are great uh, speed bumps, but I think probably the, the, the biggest speed bump, <laughs> to be quite frank with you, is that we think we know too much. We think we already have the answers. In fact, I'll never forget, as I was doing my interviews with the world's top achievers, I was sitting one time with a billionaire who, uh, obviously, I'm not at that level. So this billionaire was pretty smart. He understood some things about money that I didn't understand. And by the way, for your listeners, if you really want to know if you know how to work smart or if you're working hard, take a look at your bank statement. And that's your report card right now of how you understand working smart. Mm. Um, but this guy understood it more than me. Now, here's the thing is, remember, I was a 19-year-old as I was doing these interviews. So I turned to him and, uh, you know, I, I had a business idea that I wanted to share with him. And obviously, I was hoping he would maybe fund it or help mentor me to make it successful. But as I showed it to him, he pointed out some things in the business, you know, that wouldn't work, that were going to be a problem. And so, of course, uh, I did like most people do is I tried to argue for my reasons. <laughs> I try to hold on to my wrongness. And so I started to tell him why this was this way and why it should be this way and why it needed to be that way. And I'll never forget, he just stopped me and he says, you've got a choice. You can be rich or you can be right. You can't be both. <laughs> what would you like to do? And then he explained that if you get, if you want to be rich, you've got to shut up and listen. And that's exactly how he said it too. So I was a little offended, a 19 year old, you know, we've always got this big ego when we're in our teens, but he said, but if you want to be right, he says, that's okay too. Just keep in mind that if you choose to be right, you get to keep everything that you already have. And to me, that was profound because, you know, I didn't have much. <laughs> and I see, I see that with a lot of people that, you know, we meet in the personal development space or that we coach that most of the time, and, and same with business owners, is they're very content to keep what they have rather than trade up, right? And trading up means that you've got to be willing to uh, make some changes. And sometimes, some investments. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about a lot of times these investments that we make are simply investing in a new idea, investing in putting our e efforts and energies into a new place or putting our, our focus into an area that's going to be more profitable. And sometimes it means arranging your priorities. It's never comfortable. In fact, one of the biggest things that I find, you know, going now with kind of the question that, that you asked is that a lot of people are so excited with where they're currently at and what they're currently doing that to get them to even shift an activity and, 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 and add a new priority or stop doing something that they're kind of tied into, it's really a big struggle for them. And what is it that Mark, Mark Twain said this? He goes, the only person that likes change is a wet baby. And I think that that's really, really true. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, change is difficult for many of us. And yet it is the only guarantee. Uh, isn't that the truth? You know, it's kind of funny and, you know, I'm not going to get this quote right, but it reminds me of something that I read one time in the biography from Helen Keller. 
And you remember she was the girl that very soon after her birth was blind and deaf. And one of the things that she said that was really startling to me is that there is really no such thing as security in the world. And what a true thing. Like, you know, some people think if they've got a nice high paying job and everything else and their family's going well, that everything's perfect. But um, it's not necessarily the case. And I've even had some of my students who attended our seminars where everything was going well. And then suddenly they either lost a job or a home was foreclosed on or they were hit with divorce or even worse. Some of them were struck with a terminal illness in their family or someone close to them or a tragic accident occurred that just kind of came out of the blue that they didn't see. We don't have any guarantees in life. And so I'm going to suggest that for your listeners here, that if you feel within your heart, the universe is speaking to you and telling you that there's something that you are destined to do and something that you need to do, that every moment that you wait, you're running the risk of betraying yourself and the universe. And I'll also maybe say it this way. The universe is an echo chamber. It will give you what you put out. And if you approach something with hesitation or doubt or fear or any of these negative things, you're going to receive it back exactly the same way that you send it out. However, there's good news in that. If you approach it with boldness and excitement and courage and fearlessness, you'll find that the universe will grant to you what you seek in the fastest way possible. In fact, if there's one thing I've been startled about in my own life and the life of my students, it's actually how close we really are to receiving the things that we really want if we'll just approach it with a little bit more boldness. Interesting. I want to go back to what you said about fearlessness, because I'm going to challenge that. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to possess fear. It's what we do with the fear. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that. There's a really cool story that I like that was told to me. And funny enough, I, I didn't share this. It's not my bio, but I actually lived in China for a year. And while I was there, some of the interviews that I did were with some uh, high-level Buddhist monks on Wu Tai Shan or Wu Tai Mountain. Mm. And when I was there, I had an elderly monk. Believe it or not, it was so funny because everyone was speaking Chinese. My Chinese isn't that great. And this gentleman came to me and said, I'm from San Francisco. And he spoke English just perfect like us. But he didn't look like he was from San Francisco dressed in all these Buddhist monetary, like the, the monks, the monastery monks. Anyways, here's the story that he told me, which I thought was great when it comes to fear. He said that there were three monk disciples that were meeting with the leader monk. And the leader monk, the, the main priest, the monk, main monk, he said to them, he said, what is courage? And the first young man said, courage is to defend the people that uh, are weak and are downtrodden. That is courage. Well, the monk, the priest monk nodded his head and said, that's a pretty good definition. Not entirely true, but thank you. And so he kind of shrugged and the next kid then gave his shot. And he said, well, courage is standing for duty. When I'm called to do something and the duty which I have, that is courage to stand for duty. Again, the priest monk kind of nodded his head and said, well, thanks for sharing that. Not 100% right, but thank you. Well, the last kid thought he had the best idea. So he said, courage is standing for an ideal. It is for standing for a truth. It is standing for principle. And that's courage. Well, again, the priest monk kind of, you know, nodded his head and said, well, that's pretty good. Not entirely right, but you know, it's all, all right. Well, anyways, these three curious monks now really want to know the answer. <laughs> and so they pushed this priest and they said, what is courage? And this priest simply said, courage is love. And then he explained using the examples from each of the young men, he said, you will not defend a people for which you have no love for. And I think that that's important because if we look at it in our life, I mean, I'd step in front of a bus for my granddaughter or my grandson or my wife or my kids, right? We defend yep. and we have courage. Yeah. We, have, we can face fear for the things that we truly love. 
Same thing with duty. If a duty is ours and we love it and we love that we've been called and it's something that's close to our heart and we know that that duty is a, is a good duty, we will stand firm for it. And the same thing for an idea. So I think when we're looking at fear, what is it? When, what we value most takes very little motivation for us to defend. And I guess you could look at even a corporate setting when people value something very little. It takes a lot of motivation to get them going right? They dig in their heels, they fight it. It's a new idea. Don't want to do it. They're given a quota. I don't want to get on the phone and sell. I mean, the more you love something and the higher you value it, the less motivation it takes for you to get started. And I think that's really important to note that. Well, it's funny you you, you mentioned that in, in the context of sales, because for many of us, myself included, sales are very difficult. It's very easy to talk about something that you're passionate about, um, that you love, that you feel with conviction in your heart and soul. And it's another to ask for the money or ask for the sale. And this is probably a whole other podcast episode, but this is a challenge for many of us. Why? Is it It rejection, fear of rejection? Well, I think that that's exactly it, is that people take the transaction and they make it personal. And they really decide already before, you know, they're even asking for the money that if a person says no, it's rejecting them personally rather than the product or service that they're offering. And so I think we've got to really be careful and understand the separation. Obviously, we, especially business owners who create these products and services, we feel very personally attached to them. Our heart is in them. We love what we do. We love our company. We oftentimes can see how what we do will serve and bless other people. And in some ways, it's very easy to get offended when someone doesn't say yes because they don't see value in the same way. Now, I'm going to share that, you know, there's a fairly easy remedy to this, and that's to really understand how to share value in a way. Well, let me put it this way. I'll give you one quick sentence that will really solve it. People don't buy for the right reasons. They buy for their reasons. Hmm. And I think the problem with most of us is we try to sell people on the things, the reasons that we think are correct. In other words, I spot a problem in your life, and I know I can fix it, so I tell you that I can fix it, rather than asking you, what do you think the problem is? People never buy what they need. They always buy what they want. And so we can help them understand and that we have what they want by understanding, first of all, what they want. And then that's what we sell them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, very, it, it's very simple when you get it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I really do. I, we yeah. are we are nearly out of time, and I want to I want to talk about a piece of your own personal passion, and that is um, your pursuit of mastery in Brazilian jiu jitsu. Oh, how funny! <laughs> yeah, I love I love competitive mixed martial arts. So, it's talk brilliant. about what have you learned from it? Oh my gosh! Well, you know, there's there's a, a number of things that I've learned from jiu jitsu, and how much time do we really have, right? But I think um, one of my favorite thoughts that was shared to me early. Uh, and there's so many things that are just like life is jujitsu for anybody out there who does martial arts. You understand what I'm talking about. There's just so many lessons that transfer. And, you know, the thought that I'm kind of thinking of right now, there's an old samurai saying that says, when you defeat the enemy within, no enemy without can harm you. And I think that this is really an essence of mastery is that we need to make the decision, as it says for the title of my book, personal power, mastery. We need to make our own success in life personal. We can't delegate it to someone else. We can't wait for someone else to rescue. We need to do it ourselves. And there's a saying that we share with our students. It's this, if you own it, you can change it. So if there's something in your life that you don't like, the only way you're going to fix it is by first owning it and recognizing what control you have over it in your life. And when we really recognize that there's that power that we have, we can begin to make adjustments. 
And I think that that's a real uh, unfortunate thing that a lot of people do is they give up their power by simply saying it's the family that I was raised in. It's the marketplace that I'm engaged in. It's the community that I'm in. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough this or that or the other. Here's the deal, folks. You can't have one foot in scarcity and attract abundance. You need to be both feet in abundance. And you need to literally believe that. And part of that is learning how to make correct decisions. Like most people make their decisions based on what they currently have in their life. In other words, they say, I can't do it because I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. Don't know enough people. Don't have enough resources. Well, here's the truth is the decisions that you made in the past have created that. And the only thing that's going to create a new situation for you is a new decision. And you need to act in faith. You know, just because an apple tree doesn't have the apples on it yet, does it mean it's not an apple tree? And I think most people who fail, they wait to see it before they believe it. And mm-hmm. that's why they'll never see it. They'll never, ever see it. We are out of time. And I, and I want to leave our listeners with one of your power thoughts from the book that cool. you've just released, Personal Power Mastery, with my guest, Douglas Vermeeren. And this power thought is extraordinary results rarely appear from those engaged in average actions. True. So true, right? Definitely true. So, so true. To learn more about Doug's work, please visit his website, which is www.douglasvermeeren.com. On Twitter, he's at Doug Vermeeren. On Facebook, Douglas Vermeeren1. And Instagram is Douglas Vermeeren. The book we've been talking about today is Personal Power Mastery. The podcast, I urge you to jump on over there and have a listen, is also Personal Power Mastery. Doug, thanks for joining me. Hey, it's been awesome to be with you. I look forward to working with you again. This has been fun. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cybers-Kamen and my guests today, John Brankus and Doug Vermeeren, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.